This episode of the Jiu-Jitsu Times podcast is brought to you in part by No Judges Needed BJJ Apparel and Lavender Lane CBD Products. You can use the promo code JJT for 20% off your first order at No Judges Needed and the code JJTimes20, all uppercase, last two items are numerical, for 20% off your first order of CBD products. Thank you very much for sticking with us. Enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Jiu-Jitsu Times podcast. I am your host, Kevin Bradley, joined as always by my co-host, Mr. Kevin Gallagher. And today we are joined by one of the granddaddies, like the the red belt of the BJJ podcast game, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, uh, entertainment media mogul. That might be too far to say, but I'm just not, I'm gonna let you. Tell I, me I can I'm I can wrong. dig it. Let him go with that. Let him Co-host of Verbal Tap MMA podcast, Raf Esparza. Raf, thank you so much for joining us today. It's a pleasure to be here, especially with an introduction like that. You can <laughs> keep saying very nice and probably untrue things about me that I'm gonna pretend are true. Well, I mean, like I I'm not gonna lie. I've I've been familiar with your work for a long time. When I was pitching this show to our boss, Kit. I definitely had, you know, guys like you in mind. So without you, we might not be here. So thank you very much for that. You were also very, very cool with me in my early days when I was starting off with the Old Man Grappling Hour. I can remember you as being um, somewhat of a mentor figure to me. I think you were our very first guest as well. And you, you had gave me some very good ideas and some very good pointers. And you can't, you spoke from a place of, of deep knowledge on the issue. So I, I thank you as well. I just, I feel like this sport is craving uh, good content. And, you know, I, I came from a time when there were only a couple shows and not all of them are around anymore. And, you know, now I'm at a point where I'm like, OK, we're good. We have too yeah, many. Right. <laughs> like, now I see people who are going live every day and I'm like, right. sit down. Listen. Right. It's true. Yeah. I, I love you guys. But, you know, when I put on a show, I can't promise you're going to love every guest. I can't promise you're going to love me. But the one thing you will know that I do is that I deeply care and that hate or love me, you're probably going to figure that out at some point. So for me, I think it goes equal ways to saying like, hey, are you interested in doing this? No, it's a hard job. No, it's a thankless job. But if we're all trying to do the same thing, pushing the sport forward, we all have to contribute what we're good at. And I feel like this is something that I can lend to myself and other shows. You know, it's funny you say that because I see a lot of, new guys and whatever i'm all about it. i don't care because at the end of the day the more the more eyes out there the better everything is it's gonna it's gonna be good for me it's gonna be good for you um but what i see a lot of people doing when they come out and they're saying oh, we're gonna start a podcast you know because we got nothing else to do is like they start to realize man this shit ain't easy it is definitely <laughs> it is definitely a skill that you have to get your bones on and and, and, and and work at it and get better at it and suck for a long, long time. And eventually you kind of start to get to your groove and eventually you kind of start to, again, realize you're going to have shows or like eight people watching and you do it anyway. And you start to do it because you know what, dude, like, you just love it. It's just fun. I enjoy talking about jujitsu. I enjoy talking to people like yourself that enjoy talking about jujitsu that are intelligent and I have fun with it. And there you go. And the more you get to that point, it, but it takes a while to get there. Well, you know, some of them are bumpy. And I like to tell people, like, I don't pretend like I don't have bad shows. I just 
compare it to people when they compete. So uh, competing is like a huge window that a lot of people understand in our sport. And I tell them, you know, I review tape like I'm an athlete for this. And I also have an inclination to, if I see an interview going bad, I dig my heels in like I'm down 10 points in a round. Mm -hmm. So like I get really hyper competitive with myself to be like, you cannot put a name on this if you don't get one good thing out of this. So I literally just like, you'll see me sometimes in interviews, like when it's kind of looking like a little eh, and then you'll just see me go, okay, okay. I see how we're playing. All right. And I never blame the guest. I'm just always thinking, how do I pull it out of them? And I think that's the difference maker between guys who are like, I think I'm funny. And people tell me I'm funny, so I should start a show. And somebody yeah, those dudes like, totally suck. <laughs> hey guys, it's me, Topher. Welcome back to the 24-7 Chuckle Fest. All right. It's right. gonna be me saying jokes into a microphone while my buddies call in. Right. And guess and, what? All of my friends are named Chad. <laughs> and I mean, you know, there's a merit to it because without that, you don't have podcasts because everybody's got to start somewhere. Right. And not everybody's going to be Chris Adelio uh, speaking on a subject and being an asshole and being funny about it. And it's I definitely – go ahead. I'm sorry, Rob. I'm back. No, no, no. I'm just saying I yep. feel like um, that's something that I see that usually separates me just a little bit. And – I make it a point to try to know everybody. So if I see somebody start a show and I know them, I'll reach out to them and I'll be like, hey, man, here's a couple things to consider. Uh, You can brush it off if you want. I don't really give a fuck. I have no vested interest in your show other than to say, I think this makes a better show for our sport. And most everybody's pretty friendly about it. Nobody's ever really thought I'm an asshole, at least that they've said. (laughs) just be, I just had a real quick thing. Uh, you, you're referring to you, you keep referring to the sport. Yes. Now, when you say that, do you mean MMA specifically, or MMA and jujitsu and combat sports in general? I would say combat sports in general. So my whole bag was, you know, I started doing late night comedy stuff before I was doing a, the whole podcast deal, and I was doing stand up, and I love doing that. I just didn't want to go travel everywhere. I didn't want to go town to town. And uh, fortunately, my, my good friend, Kevin Phillips, he was one who was like kind of talking with me and we'd always chat about combat. When we do the podcast, we didn't think anybody was going to listen. We were just like, okay, we're, this is just two guys just making fun of each other and talking shit about things. And I just started doing impressions of fighters because I thought we wouldn't get fighters. And then we found out they were listening. And it turns out when you tag them on Twitter, sometimes they listen to it. And a lot of the guys had a good sense of humor about themselves. They were like, hey, man, I get punched in the face for a living, so I don't care what some dork says about me. I was like, oh, that's fair. Okay. And well, from from there, I just kind of realized there was like a window of in the sport of combat jiu-jitsu or whatever you want to call what it is that we do, the hybrids between MMA, jiu-jitsu, there wasn't really somebody like what I do. And I said, I can blend a little bit of my late night stuff and, and put that in. And I feel like we've had a bigger impact on the jiu-jitsu side, but we cover everything. I'm literally at kickboxing events. I'm at MMA events. I'm at wrestling events. You know, I, I try to just go everywhere the sport is. You do. You hustle too, man. I, every time I go to LA or I'm out in, on the East Coast with, with coaching somebody or competing, I always see you at like literally every event that goes on out there. Man. Me, man. You know, it's yeah. you don't just get to be around (laughs) just to like hang out you got to put in the work yeah you do yes you do it's funny though because uh 
we had the last MMA journalist or a guy who styled himself that way. We had on uh, Mark Charles. He's doing a lot of great stuff down in Florida, and he just launched his own uh, YouTube channel. Go check out the the Octogram YouTube channel. Um, but he had a, a few stories regarding MMA journalists that sort of put me off mm -hmm. uh, a little bit, and that it seems like from his perspective, there's a, a lack of respect for the athletes at times. You know, if, if you're just coming into it as a sports journalist and not necessarily someone who's experienced with rolling. Now, you, you're you a black belt. You've trained. Oh, God, no. No, 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 no. Don't do that. What? <laughs> purple belt. You're a purple belt. I've been around long enough that they should have probably given me a black belt. Okay. Now, now I also time not the good. fuck out because I specifically asked Kevin if he were a black belt. <laughs> Interview he's, over, like, he's like, oh, yeah, dude. Oh, yeah, no. He's a guy. He can bang. He can bang. Bro, bro, I, I'm, I'll say this. I roll with a lot of people. My greatest weapon is I have pretty good defense. And the thing about it is I make it a point, as, and maybe this is where you're going, but I make it a point as an interviewer to roll with as many people as possible, including the people I interview with. And the thing about that is if you're doing jokes to them, you feel like it's an equal way of saying like, all right, listen, I made fun of you. You can beat me up a little bit. And I find that the minute you roll with them, they do give you a better interview. But I will tell you this. I Part of the reason why I like doing my thing is that I believe the state of journalism and especially MMA and jiu-jitsu journalism is in a state of flux. There's no guidelines. There's no precedent. You know, we don't have a real New York Times, sorry, kit, but we don't have like a standard that other people follow. There's no AP source guide. It's just kind of like, uh, do you do jujitsu with the hyphen or not? And eh, today I feel like not. Fuck it. <laughs> you know? Right. So for me, I just say like, you know, I have journalism training. I love it, but I feel like there's more interest in a niche sport to get the everyman to understand it. And there's no better compliment that I get than from my friends who have nothing to do with any of this, who are like, I watched that interview with that dude who is like, is he on some drugs? And I'm like, yes, all of the drugs, all of the I, drugs. I have drugs. a very similar reaction where my little sister is actually going to school for journalism as well. Mm. and she saw my first the first episode of this podcast and her biggest compliment was wow kev this didn't suck <laughs> she has no frame of reference for this and so that that made me think man i should keep at this <laughs> i i agree with you a lot on a lot of that uh raf in, in this accord that the idea of mma mma in general or you know any of the accompanying sports to have or you know bjj kickboxing you know muay thai are very infantile and, and, and not in the fact that they're new to the world, but the fact that they're new to the common world, to people that actually view and watch the sport that aren't completely entrenched in the sport. So what we're starting to get are people that are everydayers, Joe, you know, Joe blow guys that are tuning in to watch the sport. So now in turn, what you need are people that not only understand how to do journalism, how to do broadcasting, but also have a deep understanding of what the sport entails to be able to comment and report on it accurately. And I think what we're starting to see now, particularly now with the sport of MMA and, and jiu-jitsu is a whole another conversation because God, we're just you know dying for people like yourself that have a decent amount of jiu-jitsu knowledge and you're purple belt, 
when you're a purple belt, I acknowledge you as a human being. So you are. When you get your purple belt, it means you know jujitsu. It means Great. Cool. when you do your research and tell your co something right, I consider you a <laughs> blue belt in comedy and writing. <laughs> right. But I, I digress. <laughs> right. So the point I'm trying to make is this, is that as you continue, as we continue to to grow as a sport and in turn grow as journalists that are covering the sport of jiu-jitsu, it's very essential that we have people like yourself. And I'd like to think of myself as someone that falls into that realm that can not only think in a journalistic mindset and use that integrity and that, you know, those powers of understanding and, and, and interpretation and discovery or whatever to be able to write and, and comment on it accordingly, but also have an understanding of what the sport really is about. And I think when we're watching some of these MMA guys, particularly now that with the US, uh, ESPN, they just don't have that grasp, don't have that knowledge of the fucking sport. Yeah, they're great journalists, but they don't really get it. They don't really understand what's Sorry, happening. Did, did, did Stephen A. Smith join this call right now <laughs> for some strange reason? Uh, here's we, a little I don't know if you've uh, listened to past episodes. We've taken quite a few pounds yeah. of flesh out of Mr. Smith. I think it's impossible. That dude's his what he does is supposed to evoke this response from us, but I don't think it's wrong to at least make the standard. And there's something that I feel is important to your listeners is to always be the authentic version of yourself. So we've lost people, I'm sure, when I've mentioned something about their favorite fighter, you know, at some point, then it becomes like, I don't know, I liked him until he took on those Diaz brothers. Now I don't like him. And it's like, listen, you dork. I like watching them fight too, but you can disagree with them on this or that. It's human. I feel there's something about seeing how salacious headlines and crazy, you know, fucking clickbait that really is designed to bring something out of you, to get you here and to really do that. And I really try my best not to be that guy. And I really think that's my step away from it. And I see other people kind of do it and more power to them. I just have always said, like, listen, I'm not going to try and put the lead out when I do an interview. If you see my name and you see this person, I want two responses. One, I know who this guy is and I want to see Raf interview them. Or two, I don't know who the fuck this guy is. I hope Raf does a good job of telling me right. who the fuck they so are. So now I get to know who he is. Exactly. Yeah. People trust you. And I think that that goes back again to learning your craft. Because in the beginning stages of, of doing a podcast or getting involved in journalism, you can kind of go one way or the other. You can be the, the asshole that just parades forward and and just stirs up the pot simply because or you can be the nice guy that placates everyone that tries to be nice and talk to everyone in their and and, and and you know make everybody look good and never never contradict anything so you so, so everybody likes you and i think the important part of becoming a real journalist or journalist is understanding that you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna say what i want to say and i'm gonna say things the way i want to say them and if it doesn't if it rubs somebody the wrong way i mean I apologize. I'll do my best to defend my point to you, but like, I'm not going to sugarcoat things. I'm not going to try to get caught up in, in being happy and famous and making everybody like me so I can get clicks and, and hearts and stuff like that. You got to be no, true I'm, to I, I'm good, dude. Like, I, I want to be you're known. Not. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I know you don't care. <laughs> I, I want to be known for being good at this. I don't want to be known as being the most popular guy. Right. And it's way more important to me to have 
the integrity of, hey, man, listen, even if I don't like you, eh, that was okay. Because I know it exists. And especially when you add comedy as an element to it. You know, there are interviews where I think sometimes you'll see it in the athlete. Like, they'll look at you like, I can't believe you just asked me that. And it's like, listen, dude, you need to learn how to take a question and not be a child about it. You have to answer things like an adult. And if you're going to be that button pusher, then you better hell as sure believe that sometimes I have to ask you those questions. So, you know, like one of my most famous examples is I would have never really touched the subject of Gordon steroids. It really wasn't on my radar. And then one day he posted about it because he was sick of people asking him about it. So the next interview, I saw him. I literally looked at him. I had Gary in the interview and I said, Gordon, scale of one to 10, how many steroids are you on? Because I knew it's the right question to ask because he brought it up. I didn't right. do it. Right. He did it. And right. then once you do that, then it becomes, oh, I'm really not afraid to ask you anything. Right. It's just a matter of what's organic, what happened, is there an event we're covering, did you do something? And I think a lot of the times people will chase the lowest dangling fruit. And for me, I'm like, hey, listen, I want to have these these interviews that live on, that you know have their own life that you can listen to in two years. And and we see the numbers sometimes still come in on some of those interviews that you're like, oh shit, people really like that one. That's cool. I still keep coming back to that. We had John Callistein on the Old Man Grappling Hour one time, and we were talking a lot about how Eddie Cummings could have been responsible for a lot of the Danaher system. And Danaher even himself, when he was making the videos, talked about how you know uh, Eddie Cummings was essential. And he even gave him credit for some of the things that, that went on and things like that. And it stirred a big pot. And I still have people who come up to me and say some things about that here and there. So I, I, I get it. You want to try to get guys to talk about controversial things. But there's a skill to that. There's, you can't just come right out and say, hey, so tell us about that thing with Danny. I mean, you have to lull them into it. And it's, there's a skill there, understanding that. There is a very clear and obvious reason why our most popular episode is the one titled BJJ Doesn't Work. <laughs> 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 like People want to know and they almost uh, they want to be made angry at times. you know. Yeah. And so that's why people gravitate towards folks like Gordon. But when you engage these athletes – and you engage them in a way that they might not be comfortable with or like the, uh, approve of, I guess, are you ever worried about closing doors with them and, and being making things difficult in future conversations? Does that go in through your head or are you just focused on the here and now, like asking questions? Well, let's put it this way. This sport is still so young that most of the time they're looking to get some message out. And I think the hardest thing that athletes don't understand is their time happens and they're the biggest thing in the world for that moment. But if you followed celebrities or careers or anything like that, your time comes and goes. So it's really what you make of that time. And I really hope that when I talk with an athlete, they know I have a respect for their craft. And yeah, I'm going to do jokes. And yeah, I'm going to ask them serious questions. And if they can't handle that, I think it says more about them than it does about me. And if they don't grant me an interview because of that, I have really bad news about that. There's going to be another them. There's always going to be another them, whether they know it or not. And so to me, I'm like, listen, 
I would rather be on someone's shit list and never get an interview again than ever compromise the way that I do what I do. And, you know, I mean, there are certainly guys who over the years I've seen be less uh, nice to me, but I, I don't operate off the idea like, oh, we're friends. Oh, my God. Like, oh, that's my buddy. It's just kind of like I've developed a couple friendships with a couple of the athletes that I know legitimately we have a rapport. But for the most part, like, man, I wish them well. But I've seen some of them be like, you didn't pick me on your podcast this week to win. I was like, oh, too sad. What are you going to do? Like, <laughs> what a fucking do? Why are you listening to my show and caring whether I think you're going to win or not? Someone asked me if I thought you were going to win. And what am I going to do? Not answer it? So I a lot of the times we'll just tell people, I'm like, listen, here's where I think going to win. Or I'm not going to answer that because I'm actually going to interview the winner of that one. And the last thing I need is for 10 of them to be like, I'm good too, right? And it's like, listen, you're all very special princesses. As much as they don't want to play with it, they do have egos. And, you know, I just, I think that as long as you're respectful, though, a lot of times, and I don't have too many people that have really closed the door to me. um, And I guess I'm fortunate in that. Um, But, you know, if they did, okay. A very blasted John Jones calls you up at 2 a.m. Raf, why haven't you invited me on? <laughs> I'd be like, well, I'm not going right now if you want, John. <laughs> I'm like, John, you, you up right clearly now. have John. not listened to half of our shows. Um, <laughs> I'd also caution him and be like, this is 2 a.m. This is not your glowing hour to be on anything. Uh, so here's an example. Again, Nikki Rodriguez. A friend of the show. I like him. I think he's very ambitious. Friend of our show. You know, he was on one of our early episodes. It's not a competition. But <laughs> I, I coached him one time. And, and, uh, but still, but we could talk some more about him. No, no, no. I love, I love Nicky Rod. Sorry. And I'm so, like, he's one of those kids who he's got a good soul to him. He's green. When I met him, he was just starting out. And I could tell. I was like, this is a, a special kid. One of my and, fav- one of my favorite people in all of jujitsu. But go ahead, keep talking. Absolutely, yeah. no, no. And so he calls out John Jones for like he's in a gi and John Jones is in a gi and he's like, "Why not put the two of us together?" And I had an immediate reaction to that, which was, "You know what, bro? I get what you're doing, but let's clout chase somebody else right now." Like yeah. John Jones is not in an okay enough of a place. If the first reaction is, "Who can he match up with in jujitsu?" at a time when even if you love him or hate him, you know that there's something not psychologically okay with him. I would rather he gets his own life together so that maybe we can see him more down the line, but we've given him so many chances to get that life together and to get that life together. And yet I think the hardest thing that people don't understand is when these guys get punched in the face for a living, it will do psychological and, and actual trauma to their brains so that when you say like, oh, man, they're just being crazy. It's like, well, of course, Diego Sanchez is going to do some crazy ass shit. This motherfucker's been punched since the first day of the UFC. So, yeah, he might be the guy that brings the guru that everybody kind of laughs at. But underneath that, it's kind of sad. It is sad. And that's that's I always talk about that quite a bit because my I personally am someone that falls into that 
equation. I've had a bunch of concussion issues. It's the reason why I never fought MMA because I boxed for years and years and years. And I realized, okay, I just can't do this anymore. As much as I'd love to do it, as much as I felt like I would have been successful at MMA, I stuck with jujitsu. And honestly, I probably shouldn't be doing that. But I've got to do something or I'll lose my mind. Yeah. So from someone that understands that firsthand, it, it is a very sad thing. People that just don't know, don't realize. It's it's cool to sit back and watch the guy as they go down and, and laugh about how crazy Diego Sanchez was. But there's also a very sad a very sad part of it that you can think to yourself man this guy has been through so much and had so much issues and so many brain traumas that like you know we can all laugh about it but it's also kind of sad to see it go down that way well it's the exchange for our entertainment yes so it's it's kind of the place and it's something that i judge when i do like memes or make jokes is you know, I, I try to keep a pretty even thing. And it goes back to the, just that integrity of there are just some jokes that it's not like I'm afraid to do. I just don't want to do. It's yeah. just not. I choose not to. Yeah. And, you know, with Diego Sanchez's coach, I kind of said, like, well, OK, this is different. That dude is a parody of something and we don't know what it is, but it is funny. That's right. funny. Um, so it's kind of trying to figure out, like, yeah, the psychological damage isn't good there. And and seeing John Jones this time, the other side of it, the equation is when people go, we should just be nicer to him. And I was like, um, you know, again, I don't know, man. We give a lot of second chances to people who fight and who are sports good at things. I, so, like, go ahead, go ahead, if you and I hit a pregnant lady, done. Life I, done. I, I I fall in this regard when that when we talk about guys like that. We talk about these 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 MMA fighters that essentially towards the end of their life start to spiral down NFL players and all these guys because obviously they're it's very obvious now and I think it's very difficult to to not at least acknowledge it that issues with CTE play a role in that. And He's like right. I went through it myself. I have I had very horrible manic phases where I, you know, was was I don't doing drugs and drinking and, and going crazy and gambling and, and it took me the acknowledgement to say, wait a minute, I need to change my life mm -hmm. or it's going to destroy me. And the problem I have with these professional athletes and professional fighters is that because they are so famous and because we are still essentially like sucking off the teeth for, you know, our, 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 uh, our, our financial gains, if you if you own a company, or even our entertainment gains as consumers that want to see these guys and enjoying watching the show, it enables them to not do the right things to make themselves better. Because you can, you could still lead a happy life, but as long as we continue to to I don't know promote this behavior and kind of look the other way and and and, and find it and, and gain some kind of gain off of it. Yeah. It's it's on us, and, and it doesn't help them. So you got to tell them, hey, you're wrong, I, my, in my opinion. My one thing is that he's very – like John specifically, mm. uh, he's you know he's very clearly got a public persona. I don't know what he's like behind the scenes. This like watching the footage of his last arrest, you got this image of a broken man, and you, you really – even despite everything, you really feel for him in that moment. But then a few days – like uh, not like maybe a week later – He's making fun of Anthony Lionheart Smith for getting his house broken into. And, and then Kev, just like <laughs> not to interrupt you, but that is the one sign of lack of growth as far as I'm concerned. When you see someone like John Jones is the perfect example of that. I have still to this day never seen John Jones show any real remorse for his actions. And until you can sit back and say, wow, I am a doing – I might not be a bad person. 
but I sure as hell am acting like one. And I really need to think about this and go inside of myself and try to change that. He's never going to heal. He's never going to get better. It's going to continue to happen. And eventually something bad is going to happen for John Jones. I, I see it. I see it happening. It's kind of interesting because even looking back at like Michael Jordan's documentary that's just come out right now. Amazing, by the way. <laughs> I love it. And it's what we need at this time. Yeah, like it is. that was supposed to come out in June. And then ESPN was like, no, no, just take it. Take right. all the money and make right. it. Can you bring it tomorrow? Right, right, right. Like, Bro, exactly. it's not even edited yet. They're like, who cares? Who make cares? it roll now. Fly, roll it out. <laughs> Don't Unedited make me call Mickey eight on you. hours. <laughs> <laughs> good. I got that. The Mickey, the Mickey thing was great. That was a good piece, just in case you missed it. <laughs> I just, I personally enjoy always thinking like there's like a person or Mickey himself does like these calls and is like, Oh boy, oh, you better have that done. Hey, hey guys. <laughs> this is the second episode in a row where Mickey Mouse Mickey is Mouse. Mouse. somewhat yeah. dominantly. God damn it, Boogie. I, Just forgot I know you you're right on Boogie. <laughs> Listen, Boogie, I'm not pleased with you. And I'll I'll you know you and I will have a chat later, sir. Uh, let's talk, wow. let's talk a little bit about what an amazing, I, I know it's not jujitsu oriented, but we could talk about it in, in, in terms of athletes. Like, let's talk about how the world really forgot. What an amazing freaking person and what an amazing image for being a winner and being a true competitor that Michael Jordan was like. We kind of forgot about that because Michael Jordan still kind of falls in the era predating YouTube and predating yeah. instant access to, uh, to uh, you know, Internet and all these other things where you can, things are just shoved down your throat. So he kind of falls into that same Bo Jackson uh, appeal of like folklore. Like you tell stories about Michael Jordan, but you don't really connect to it. It's just like like some kind of some kind of story that you can't really believe. You know it's, it's true, because, but you don't really know it's true. It's weird because all the stories I hear about Michael Jordan are about him either being a great athlete or like an asshole off the court. Like I've been, I haven't seen the documentary yet. I'm still getting through the Tiger King. So like that, that's that's the next one, <laughs> bro, bro. That was like seven streams ago, man. Yeah, I know. You're I know, away, but you can catch up. I'm what do you have going on? We have I know exactly. What are you doing? <laughs> I edit. I, I edit a lot, and we I mainly just rewatch Avatar: The Last Airbender. So <laughs> after I've just wow. done that, I'm getting through Tiger. Questions game. and answers. There but we the, go. The point you know, I'm trying to make. That. I actually know the dude uh, who's the director of that, and he's a jujitsu uh, fan. Wait, the, the Airbender. Yes, that oh, dude, cool. uh, Joaquin, he's now going to be directing the next Spider-Man. Oh shit! Awesome. And uh, oh, I'm not talking about the. Oh wait, who? who? His name's Joaquin DeSantos. Right, right, right. And he is uh he's an amazing, amazing guy. He also did the Voltron for Netflix. Um, but this dude, the reason I bring him up is because he's a jiu-jitsu enthusiast. Like he used to train with Mac Danzing. He employed Mac Danzing as a stunt coordinator for an animated show, just because he'd be like, Yo, bro, does this make sense if I draw it like this and they're fighting? And he's like, Yeah. And I thought that was one of the coolest things about him. So uh, but I, I kind of want to bring this to what I was bringing up Michael Jordan for, yeah. not to yell at you because- yeah, you No, good, good. I, we talk about Michael Jordan. I, I'm just leading it up. Put it on a tee. You take, take it home, baby. But Michael Jordan, to me, I think the reason why is to a number of athletes, they figure, and there is a, something to be said about being selfish when you are in your competitive prime, but I think they see that come to Jesus moment way later so that they can give that story in 10 years where they're like, Oops, I was a dick to people, but I won things because people are fascinated with those stories. Now, again, Michael Jordan, one of his biggest detriments was maybe he was kind of a prick to some people, but okay. And in other regards, he was a gambler. But in the John Jones case, 
when you say that he hasn't brought up remorse, I've always wondered if he's taken it from the alpha perspective, because how weird is it to go from doing something that's harmful to yourself, putting out some sort of BS public relations statement that you know he doesn't really give a shit about, and then maybe two days later being like, yo, hey, Anthony, you there, pussy? Hey, (laughs) yo, how about you? DC, you're fat. Like he goes yeah, straight like, back the into f- the shtick of the persona of like, lay low is- for lay low for a couple weeks, man. Like let it let it blow over. Like there's come no on, bro, you're hot right be, now. There's no like, fights to even be made. Like, the don't world be an is asshole. Like it's just don't be a don't be that guy right now, John. There's nothing to gain from this. It's making you look but bad. But if you but if you look at the comment sections and the people who endorse it, what they're doing is they're signing off on it because they themselves whether they like it or not need that drama. And what we do have is a lot of people who may say they don't like drama, but are the first people when they're like, "Mm." you know, I saw Jake Shields say something to the effect of, uh, yo, these media types, they seem not quite understand. Uh, They have a differentium from the stars who crave that drama because after I got into a brawl on this, uh, I think it was a strike force fight. You know, that was good. How can you not expect fighters oh, to fight? It and it's May- like with Mayhem Miller or something, I believe they just posted up. It was like an anniversary of that. Yeah. And his point was he's like, well, how do you expect fighters not to fight? And I'm like, well, when it's a sport, if you guys were just fighting without any purpose, then that would just be what you do on the streets. When you bring it to a sport and you're surprised that fighters are doing that, maybe you're not surprised, but you still go, yeah, you're not supposed to do that. And more importantly, I think it's what we've always had to struggle with to get the brand away from. That's what the UFC had to counter when they were first becoming a legitimate sport. So that when Khabib comes over, you're like, man, Khabib's a great athlete and he's out the cage. God damn it. Right. So that's not good. That was in, so just just to kind of draw a correlation, I, w- I want to see what you th- what your opinion is on this. So we, we, you talk about an era type uh, conversation. So you talk about the era of Michael Jordan versus the era of say LeBron James or mm-hmm. currently John Jones. Um, I feel like it because in in, a, in in essence, I'm not going to say that there's too much difference between what John Jones did and represent and what. Uh, Michael Jordan did represent because they're both flawed individuals. You know, it's very difficult to obtain that level of, of, of a winning mentality and that level of greatness without having horrible side effects of selfishness and, you know, mm-hmm. e- ego driven gambling, things that make you feel like you're better than the average person because you, in, in all actuality, you are. You're an amazing. You got to believe it. Yeah. And then but once you achieve it, then you, okay, you, you did need it. that. You need that to drive you. The point I'm trying to make is this. I feel like there's something in the idea of in the 90s, it seemed to me that like as a society and as journalists, we would tend to not search for the negative and look towards the idea of character. So we would suppress the bad intentions and therefore spotlight the good intentions. So in almost an actuality, making that person look better because we, our eyes were in tune to try to find that. It seems like in today's society, we've kind of switched that. Like we almost suppress the character and work to promote the, the, the madness and the mania and the, and the negative aspects, because that's what we crave. 
What, how do you feel about that? I don't even know if that was a question, but what do you think about that? No, it's it's like a overarching thought on why we're so obsessed with these people. And more importantly, what's the effect of the media's role and how we create that image. And I think one of the issues or the, the points of this Michael Jordan documentary is it's supposed to humanize him. So I would tell you this, man. I always come back to having responsibility as a journalist, which is always, you know, now we're at a point where if you have a microphone and a camera, you're a journalist. And I think when you don't have that training, then you misquote people or you kind of take your slant on it. And a lot of people don't want to just see how a news article is written. They want it to have a splash of personality. And as a result of that, I think because of our way that we have the 24 seven sort of thing. If somebody puts something out on Instagram, that's news. And to me, I'm like, I couldn't imagine going to my editors and saying, Hey guys, um, I don't know if you guys saw over the weekend, but, uh, Pete Sampras was on Instagram and people being like, let's run with it. It's like, well, okay. What you have is them making a statement. And that's the idea is to quote that as opposed to getting in touch with the person. So I, I, I have such issues with people not doing their job on journalism. And I also have a little bit of issue with athletes who, and maybe they need to, but they'll make themselves into a brand to the point where it becomes the brand can't be attached. There's no conscious to the brand it's just hey the brand has to continue yeah, I, what i feel and what i see and it's just, it's just what i see and maybe i'm just an old man saying how the kids i mean i'm what i'm the principal from the breakfast club or whatever but the idea is is that um like i see in modern society a yearning for the negative as opposed to the yearning for the real things because to be a great athlete you got to have character. I always say that all the time. You, it doesn't matter who you are. Like John Jones is a character simply because he's, he, there's, he didn't just wake up one day and he's John Jones. Like he had to work his ass off for that. He trains every same thing with Gordon Ryan. Gordon Ryan just wake up one day and he's Gordon Ryan. Like he had to work his ass off for that. He had to train his ass off. He, he drove back and forth on the damn train. I mean, there's no denying the amount of work and effort. He's, you know, you're not just gifted. He's athletically gifted, but it didn't just come to him free. He's also driven to succeed. Mm. And I feel like a lot of times the the world anymore just doesn't want to see those things. They want to see the insanity. They want, oh yeah, man, go out there and promote that fight. Go out there and show the world what a what a crazy person you are. How you can how you can make the call that guy out, tell him he's stupid, be that guy, be Conor McGregor. And it just, eh, I don't know, man. It, it's distasteful to me sometimes. Here's what I'll say. I've grown up my whole life a pro wrestling fan. So when I see people attempt to be pro wrestling-esque, I just laugh. Like, that's why to me, like, you know, Gordon doesn't register as anything above a C-level trash talker in professional wrestling. Right. But to jiu-jitsu, it's like, oh, my God, he's so good. And it's like, I mean, okay. You know, there's not really a joke here. He just use the word retarded four times and y'all love that. He's a bit stiff on the mic. That is to be sure. But but it works for us because he found an audience that likes that he's being his, what is perceived authentic self. So as a result of it, it's not even like they're craving anything other than, oh my God, here's a personality being extreme version of himself. 
Whereas I feel like the hardest part about watching all these guys and seeing them do their thing is when they're trying to emulate that professional wrestling, sell the next fight, you know, I'll take you on next week at UFC 209 explosion at the Superdome. Exactly. (laughs) Like to me, I like to think there's a wink and a nod because people like Conor McGregor and Chael Sonnen and even going back to like Tito Ortiz and all these people who kind of made you feel a certain way. Ken Shamrock. I mean, Ken Shamrock though, I think Ken Shamrock was more internal. I don't know that he necessarily talked a ton of shit as much as he did tell you why he thinks he was the best. And when he wasn't the best, telling you why he was not given the opportunity. It wasn't his fault. It was it was obviously there was other there was other before he should have. Right, right, right. There was other things extenuating circumstances were definitely obviously not his fault. But But I get that always like, look at this guy. He's a clown. What I say is this, and we we don't have to talk about this anymore. What what I say is this there's 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 you can be the heel and you can do those things that's authentic. Like I because I there's there's, exactly in the past, there's you know, if you're authentically that person. And you just want, and you're crazy, and you want to go out there, and you want to, you want to sell things, and that's just who you are. That's who you are. I see a lot of guys trying too hard to be that person. Oh, yeah. It just, man, it's just, it's just because they feel like that's what it takes. And I guess I don't know. Maybe that's what it takes. Well, think maybe about it like this: everybody is always the next generation. So there's always a young kid who sees an athletic superstar who wants to emulate that athletic success and the success that it brings from both people and their peers right and when they see somebody give them a pattern or kind of a blueprint they say "Ooh, how do i do that blueprint and i think it's part of the reason why when i see colby covington i go oh god this is not funny like it's just you know henry cejudo you go they're trying to take the professional wrestling model they're literally telling you that's what they're doing but it's so stupid that you can't even enjoy it you just go listen henry cejudo you're an amazing Olympic athlete that now is making weird young five-year-old faces at the camera. <laughs> and, Call, calling out women for fights. Right. And I'm just sitting here and like, this is essentially what it gets a look from me. And I'm like, uh, okay, whatever. Okay. Whoever your fan is likes that. Good for you. Dude. I, I, I need to admit something right now. I love all of Henry. Cejudo, everything Henry Cejudo is about. I love it so much. I can't in kick you off your part. own show, but man, <laughs> if I, I know. Could. Look, I, it's, I think it's the fact, I think it's just the fact that it, when Colby does it, it doesn't ring true. But the fact that Henry Cejudo is a two division champion and Olympic gold wrestler, that is so much ludicrous success that this this persona is so unnecessary like you could sell yourself just on being an absolute alpha predator and you're not you're being this weird cringy maniac yeah he doesn't have to at this point he, he is he has more place. winning per square inch in his tiny body than like entire continents i would go so far as to say why well, think one enough for like eight can lifetimes I, can i just tell you something real quick your two second little dig at him was more entertaining than 40 minutes of him piled together on his Instagram. And like I would watch 40 minutes. <laughs> no, but you literally being like, listen, he's an amazing athlete. I can't believe how good he is, as small as he is. I mean, I just want to say he's so small that, you know, like <laughs> me. He's like a tiny. He's like this it, big. <laughs> it's just, it's funny because 
He's actually right here in my pocket. Hey, Henry. (laughs) There's an element of like, hey, man, I have my style. That's how I do. For for Henry Cejudo, here's what happens. You know, he makes like those cringe noises and like that cringe look. And then all of a sudden they go and cut. And he's like, hey, how's everybody doing? Everybody having a good day? Man, he's not that guy. He's not that guy. Let's get off this boat with these hoes. I'm so sorry. Yeah, right. This has been so crazy today. Hey, everybody. I just want you to know, like, I respect all of you. And uh, I like, I hope you weren't uncomfortable by this. Like, (laughs) like, if you need anything, just let me know. Like, water. Everyone have water. Goes up to every woman there. And it's just like, hey, I just want to let you know, I donated $10,000 to a female wrestling grappling club. And I really hope it comes through for you guys. Knock me out if you guys have a problem. Okay, bye. Then I'm I give that. you verbal permission to hit me as hard as you can. It's let's, fine. <laughs> let's give you a couple more tough questions, then. Yes, sir. Just because, Go for just it. because I want to, I want to put you on the spot. I want to make you. I want to make you. I want to make it. Let you make a stand. I guarantee you probably won't. No, I know you're too good. You're too good for that. I, I know just, that. I'd it'll be like, fun. It'll be fun for me. I'm, I'm pretending like I'm like I'm the superior journalist in this instance. I, no, no, I just no way I can spar with you in this. You're case. literally <laughs> just being like Raph. I want you to be the salacious headline we need to lead this goddamn thing off. So just give us our quote. And we'll I'll, get off. The I'll come out show. to San Diego and kick your ass on the mat, so it'll make me feel better about getting tooled in this interview. But <laughs> tool, like Kevin, what do you think this is? I don't. This isn't a fight. What? No, it's no, 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 no. See here, I'm this joking, is not uncommon. Joking. This I'm is joking. exactly what happens every time you start to be a little too funny. You get right. that athlete that goes, right. hmm? "Okay, it's my you, show. I'm train? the star. I'm the star on this show, Raph. You're on my show. But go ahead, Anyway, the question I, I want to ask you, I want to ask you some of the, I want to ask you some opinions on on the UFC jockeying to open up in 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 submission underground grappling uh coming out and and still doing events in ah. this climate of um of coronavirus that we're living in. Do you feel like it's do you feel like it's uh it's the correct route? Do you feel like it's safe? Do you feel like it's humane? Do you feel like it's ethical? What? No. Here's why. I think when I look at something like that, I have to put aside, oh, hey, I really would like to see some content because right. we're, we're starving for it. Starving for it. But the way that people ask for it is like whiny children. It's like, come on. I hate being home. Put it no. on a boat. Put it on a boat. Put it on so, an island. But all of us, we like fights, so we're not opposed to that. What we don't like is when your blowhard president basically gets on the air and goes, uh, is it going to be safe? Go fuck yourself. That's how safe it's going to be. Hey, look at this other dingbat. Hey, fuck you too, guy. Like, that's not what we're looking for when we're saying like, hey, dude, there should be some safety precautions in there. What if somebody did contract this? You know, I'm so tired of people being afraid and this is a virus that's just like making them all fear it. I don't fear it. I try to come up with solutions. And I'm like, oh, is Dana in a fucking laboratory creating a vaccine for this? Is he telling us how to basically combat this as a scientist? No, he's telling us he's coming up with solutions to give us content. So if you can take him at a promoter base, cool. Here's my issue. If you are asking for the basic bare necessities of keeping these fighters safe, I think you should at least be able to explain that. You don't got to tell me where it is because 
they might have gotten away with it if they got to keep it a little bit more secret. I wonder that so much if it didn't leak out that it was going to be at the Tai Chi Palace because I really feel like the UFC felt in their brains they were just going to show up, do an event, cloud of smoke, run away. And yet they forgot about legal tape. And then when Dana's like, it's going to fucking happen. It's 100% going to happen. I hear that and I go, it's not happening. That is not happening because somebody is going to come after him because he's made the aggressive stance. And guess what? Rose Namayunas has a family member die two. of, yes, two members die of coronavirus. So then it tells you it's impacting the fighters to begin with. Okay. Didn't necessarily impact her. Oh, how about Lyman Good? That dude was supposed to fight on the UFC 249 card. He had COVID-19. Now, I don't know if we discovered that because all these guys were given tests, which begs another question. Why are they getting tested? These right. are the are getting... everybody says is supposed to be healthy because they're all fit. And that's the narrative we need to take. It's one of those things where you say, listen, dude, if you could show us a way that could make us understand it and communicate that to us instead of go fuck yourself, you have at the bare minimum a better strategy than just trying to put one over on us and trying to put a hard line in the stand that basically says, if you're with me, cool, don't ask questions. But then when you see these things kind of pop up, you say, what if that would have gone wrong? Right. And yeah, they might've signed on for it, but I think if they had figured out they had it because of this being a contact sport, then you have to consider how close is the nearest hospital? How close are those people who are going to be older who are holding cameras? What are you going to do to your talent that comes in? If Joe Rogan's not even going to come in, what does that say about yeah. your talent? Well, yeah, when Joe Rogan's telling you I ain't doing it, then you've you, you got an issue. Well, okay, so let's just let's take a pause on uh, any UFC or MMA events and okay. just focus on the events that have been at least somewhat shown to be able to function. Like Submission Underground is currently one of the only athletic competitions that is happening on the in, planet in, in on the and, planet. Exactly. Yeah, and shale took a very different approach to Dana. He was very demure and quiet saying, we want to know what we have to do to put this on. Granted, there's probably a fraction of the restrictions and red tape for a grappling tournament than an MMA fight, sure. but he was very upfront about everything. He did all of the promotion and commentary himself. Most he talked for hours without stopping. And a lot of it was just him telling people, oh, I'm getting a text from Daniel Cormier. And, you know, it, this is crazy. That's <laughs> actually that a good deal. That's a good deal. That was better than I th – I've never tried to do that. It was better than I thought it was going to be. So, I would, I Well, I mean, you know, it, the thing is I do a chael and I just turn him into the loudest – dumb guy that i can't you that what you just did was was a beautiful art interpretation so don't sell yourself short sir Namaste, your voice sir. is almost in a kale sun and range in a pitch you just have to kind of like change it slightly you pronouncing every name possible oh, in a slightly incorrect way will never get me right. you know right. renner is just a great guy rickson super cool dude you know like uh here's what i'm gonna tell you right now I, I admire you for doing that, but slow your roll. That's my gig. I, I do the impressions of people. I don't need other people doing this. You already have a show. I don't. I was truly it. just winging it, but uh, for real, like as much of a reputation he has of being a, 
a certain type of guy. Chael really went out of his way to go by the book, and he was able to put on an event. By all accounts, according to Boogie, we had him on yesterday. The next submission underground is set to go forward without any restrictions. They know they got to wear full body, like long sleeve rash guards and long sleeve spats. Uh, do you think there's anything to be gained by how Chael and Dana reacted to everything? Or are they just two different sports? Two different scopes of show. So the weird part about Submission Underground, and again, no offense to anybody there, it's just a smaller show. And people don't necessarily worry about that. Two, Chael, don't forget this, is also a politician. So he understands the idea and the process a little bit better than Dana White, who you, for a long time, just had to answer to two guys, really. Now has to answer to boom, 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 yeah. boom. All the way up. When you're answering to a multi-billion dollar multinational uh, conglomerate, there's big, big money that can be lost in lawsuits. And immediately they're going to be like, ah, sorry, sorry, Danny, we're not going to do that. Well, even from Data's own account, like him being like, yeah, they basically told me, could you not? And I'm like, I can guarantee you that was not the <laughs> That was not the conversation. Like, <laughs> you can tell me whatever you want. I know those guys. And that is not how they talk when they are feeling the Disney brand could be implemented in something. Right. I think what Chael did is um, interesting because it set a precedent for a bunch of hungry grapplers who were just desperate for, for anything. And I appreciate the fact that Chael has taken an interest in our community. Um, we've watched it and I'm, I'm happy that that's going on. Is it weird to see these guys put on uh, almost a absurd amount of Chandler Bing-esque amount of clothes on their body so that they can be doing the grappling. Like I was used to that being the one where people are going the 80 CC style with no rash guards. This one, they're like, I have a tank top on top of my rash guard on top of a hazmat suit. The so, funny thing is go. like, what is that? Is that really even like, it's, it sounds good. It's something well, you do well, for appearances, but it's really like a difference. Here's the even better part. When they would bump fists at the beginning because or, of the exchange. Or when I'm hugging you and breathing down your throat and my sweat is – your long sleeve rash guard is really going to help Boom. with that. Or your, your spats is going to stop the spread of a, of, Mr. A, of a contagious virus. Mr. Sonnen, you don't know me, um, but if you – there is a magical thing that could happen here. If you – during this epidemic where you've got a – maintain like full body coverage mm. if you book nikki rod and we get to see nikki rod in a shirt <laughs> for the first time in his professional career it'll be it'll be sheer it would be bizarre and he would wear like a, a, a lycra fishnet thing just yeah, so it would have to it would have to be cool. <laughs> Wow. The, the okay. one thing I want to add to this before we move on. Nikki, before we don't beat me up, topic, please. I, I, I agree with you, Raph, a lot. I, I really – I think it's very unethical and I think it's very un, unreasonable and for a couple different reasons because, first of all, Dana White's not the one going to be fighting. He ain't the one going to get out there in a damn cage and, and, and put himself at risk. He's not the one that's going to have to train his ass off. It's going to have to cut weight and put himself in a position where his immune system is compromised to come in and fight, first of all. But he is the one calling the shots. And I can 100% guarantee you that these young fighters, particularly the ones that are on the undercards, the ones that are trying mm -hmm. to move up the ranks, the lower-level guys, the big guys could be like, oh, I ain't doing it, Dana. And he ain't, they ain't going nowhere. Maybe they miss out on a title fight or they get bumped down the ladder a little bit, but they're not going to get dropped 
from the UFC. I can 100% guarantee you that, yeah, they're saying, sure, we're going to keep you employed. And it's within your right to not want to fight. But if you tell us no, we're going to bump you down. You may be lower on the totem pole. And, and you're shot at trying to make This is going to be headlining fight pass. Right. It, you, you 100%. Mooks. And, like, they know this. And it's kind of an un, unsaid yet implied way the UFC does business. So now you've got some young fighter that doesn't really know shit from shit. Fighters are awesome, but they're fucking – they don't give a fuck. That's the same reason why they get CTE because they don't realize it when they're kids. They just go through. They don't care. You know, they're going to go out there. They're going to get in shape, and they're going to fight. But they're putting themselves in harm's way. It only takes one mistake. It only takes one guy that slipped through with something on his shoe or one piece of equipment that comes in carrying the germs. And now you've got, you know, yeah, you got the old guys moving the cameras. You've got, you know, other people that are there in a technical aspect. But you've got a bunch of people, a bunch of fighters, professional fighters that are, A, immune compromised because they're really working their ass off to train. And, B, some of them cut 15, 20 pounds. How fucking bad do you think their immune system are when they're doing that? In an area, in a time when there is a disease out there that say what you want to say, if you're immune compromised and you're in a bad shape, I don't care how old you are, it's going to kill you. That's my yeah. that's my feeling on it. It's un yeah. and you pressure them without without doing intentional. Okay, yeah. To make poor decisions. Here's, here's what I would say. Um, to kind of close out Chael's idea too. Would I wish they would do them later? Kind of. Right. Uh, you know, Chael's at the very least. I mean. I had to hat tip them. They did everything they could to try and just make it work and do that thing. But I'll tell you one thing that does suck is seeing the empty audience for grapplers to me, it, it does make me a little sad because as it is, I mean, part of the reason why I did start getting so many interviews is because I would be at these events. And because at the end of the day, I got frustrated seeing these guys have nobody to talk to. And it would upset me to the point where I'd be like, what you did was dope and you're basically hobbling on one leg. And I know how hard what it is you do is. So I want to help you tell that story because I'd look around, there'd be no scrum. And most of these organizations don't actually know how to work with media. And a lot of them are resistant to it. So because they can't control the narrative. And so as a result of it, it's just me going up to some guy and being like, can I interview you? And they're like, yeah, I didn't, Cool, thanks, man. I didn't know anybody cared. Yeah, you know, kind of look on their face. Right, right. Exactly. So on that side, for sure. On Dana's side, I would tell you this. Yeah, there's that pressure. Yeah, it could be detrimental for these guys. But even more to me, when you say carelessness or kind of do that for fighters, they don't want to be perceived as pussies. And two, a lot of them, it takes a lot to enter that cage. So I think they do it with the respect of, hey, man, a lot of times I get into a cage and I gamble with my health. So how is this any different? And it's hard for us to implore upon them like, well, this is one of those weird times where you don't know the science behind it. It's the the difference if, is there's tangible proof to show how much more in danger you are at this point. We're not talking about opportunities that could arise. You're not gonna have anything. This is actual something tangible that ups your percentage for, and, for harm. Can we maybe admit there's elements of this that both you and I and other people don't understand, and yet to a fighter being able to tell them, hey, man, you can't fight this thing. Like, you can't get into a cage with the coronavirus, though 
would love to see that happen. Uh, we did a joke on a show <laughs> where uh, my co-host Kevin, the bit. bring the bit on. <laughs> I, I love this. Bit. I, I told Kevin, I was like, you know what, Kev, you should come on the show as a guy from the NRA and you should basically come and say the only thing that kills a virus is a good virus with a gun. And <laughs> like, cause I feel like that's what people think that's they can do is just like, you know, so, like that's the mentality so fucking good. Rav, of Americans. You, are you familiar with the uh, pastor Kenneth Copeland? I am the guy who like blows the wind of God on yes. the virus and destroys yes. it. Forever. <laughs> that's good, man. Yeah, well, let's wrap. Let's wrap this thing. I'm getting a little. Well, I, I, okay, I, I, so I, I real quick, I just wanted to speak more to Raph from a, a journalism perspective. There was a uh, earlier. I wanted to go down a route that uh, I still want to go down a little bit. You spoke earlier about seeing, uh, being disheart- disheartened by uh, people with social media a little bit yeah. in terms of like becoming journalists, taking on that that moniker without really any training. How many years have you been a journalist? Good question. All right. So I started back in when I was a kid, man, I was writing all the way back to high school or junior high. I started all the way back then. I was going to be a journalist to the T. Like I always had aspirations to do uh, comedy and all that sort of stuff, but Journalism is first and foremost. So from seventh grade on, I was like, I'm going to write for the Times. I'm going to do this. I'm going to be a broadcaster. And I did that. And I worked my way through high school as the editor of a weekly high school newspaper. Um, I loved doing that. Went to college, did two, three years of training, and then started transitioning that to forensics, which is speech and debate. And I started utilizing the skills from speech and debate to kind of hone my craft. And then right about that time, I would say... 2009, started working for NBC, worked for The Tonight Show, loved doing it, and was writing jokes. And then all of a sudden, about 2012, I was starting to cover events uh, like at the UFCs and uh, Glory Kickboxing, and I was working for a couple media outlets. And then I saw what they were doing, and I said, that's cool, but I kind of like what I'm doing. Like, I like being able to write jokes without having to worry if I'm going to offend somebody. I like being able to interview people without necessarily having an agenda. Like I just like being able to say, here's what it is. And there are a number of people who I have tremendous respect for in the journalism game. I think Ben folks does a great job. I think Luke Thomas has been a beacon for us. Um, But I would say you can date it back to for MMA and jujitsu all the way back to about 2012. Okay, so I'm going to actually take it broader. So like over a decade of journalism, you know, and being aware of the space. If you could like quantify how low the barrier for entry has gotten, how would you go about doing well, that? They let me in somehow, so it's probably really low. Is I snuck it, through. No, I snuck through. Kevin, again, stop being so negative. Stop <laughs> being so negative. Here's, here's what I would tell you is that anybody can start a blog. And a blog can sometimes be just as valuable as a resource because I look at somebody like uh, BJJ Heroes and I say, that's actually very interesting how they do what they do. I wouldn't necessarily say they're covering news per se, but I think they provide a valuable service that has a lot of similar ambitions of I try to be objective, let the data show itself, that sort of a thing. 
Um, but I wouldn't say like, if you were to put a gun to my head and say, Raf, tell me the best journalists in jujitsu, I'd be like, I don't, uh, uh, what trick question, right? Are you going to shoot me now? That'd be a terrible thing. I don't know, dude. No, um, I'm saying I'm just saying in terms of like how much easier and more engaged the public has gotten in contributing to journalism in whatever they, way they want to. Yeah, I mean, um, I feel like people understand social media, and that that has become a version of well, this person said and like basically quoting somebody as a form of journalism. Um, but I mean, if you think about it, there's not really anybody who's doing editorial. So yeah, I mean, anybody could get in on it and it's my hope that people do peer reviews and sort of thing, but like everybody's doing independent media and our biggest like actual presence of flow grappling is both broadcaster distributor and right. occasionally journalism ish. I, I think that one of the plagues of our modern society is that as a race, we can no longer distinguish between journalism and opinion. And I think that's one of the reasons why as a society we are so lost as to factuality because we've become a society that values opinion over journalism and they don't really understand that journalism isn't based on your opinion. Journalism is based on vetted facts that are established by established organizations that have spent their entire life. People, people that are journalism's journalists, like are very intelligent people that didn't go to law school, that didn't go to be a doctor, but decided they wanted to dedicate their life to the pursuit of, to the pursuit of truth. And we don't believe them anymore because we believe some kid that has access to his YouTube page over this person that dedicated their life to try to give you the truth, to let you see through what's going on. And that's, yeah. that's a sad thing we see in the world today. But but there are people who understand, and I think they could be useful in terms of how we transition if they really know how to take what they know about YouTube and uh, basically like Instagram and those tools and know how to use that to tell the next generation of journalists. I think those are practical skills that are very important. Um, but yeah, it, it's disturbing to me. And the reason why I bring up lack of names is is that it's my hope we'll see more people establish themselves as credible journalists who you know a lot of times that should be a full-time job but we just the market doesn't really have that yet so for me my niche i believe is just i want to be a host for the sport i want to be the best interviewer the sport has and i'm pretty vocal about always wanting to be that guy and i feel like that to me allows me to go directly to the source it's not me saying, here's what I think you think. It's like, all right, bud, you said some shit and we need to get to the bottom of it. And let's look at it critically, tell your story. And more importantly, if at the end of it, people take away more about you than they did knowing you before or after, then I feel like we did something. It's awesome, man. All right. Well, you know, as a fellow journalist, it means a lot to hear uh, your aspirations of like being the best interviewer. And, you know, uh, I personally have uh, a lot of goals similar to that. Namely, I want to be a little bit better than Rafa Sparza. Here's the thing I love. And this is, I can't wait to come to San Diego and kick your ass. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. I will tell you this no. right now. This is what I love about our sport is that we are getting more people who are interviewing and being a host and all that sort of thing. I think it's beautiful, but I feel what you just did is good because 
there's a weird component of like in sports or in jujitsu when you say, oh man, I want to be a gold medalist. I want to be the best at jujitsu. And everybody goes, okay. And for me, I'm like, I want to be the best interviewer. And people are like, whoa, whoa, hold on, hold on, dude. And it's like, no, 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 no. You're not going to have a double standard for me. I'm going to be very clear about telling people I want to be the best. I will tell it to my peers. I will tell it to my colleagues because you should be able to tell me the same way that you tell that athlete. Like it should be aspirational to want to be the best. So I wish you continued success in your second place showings to me. But I really, Good Hey, I, listen more than Mary, dude. Cause I need all the people who I, I believe are on the side of we're trying to do the best that we can in a sport that sometimes is going to resist hard questions and, uh, it, sometimes a personality, sometimes they don't like, I mean, well, I get YouTube. To be honest, like, to be fair, these, these athletes, you know, when you're, when you're getting into football, basketball, baseball, there's this expectation of being of intense media scrutiny, because that's what we see. These sports are put in the limelight. <clears throat> MMA athletes might not necessarily be indoctrinated to that idea, you know, no. and because it's, it's very new. It's very new that anyone cares. Like how, how many years was Ariel doing AOL news before anyone even knew what he, who he was, you know, yeah, and he, yeah. uh, you know, it's so like, it's also why when they do those, uh, big, uh, you know, wait or open Q and a thing and they'll get the like journalist row to ask a question and the fans will be like, boo. it's like, fuck off. That was a good question. <laughs> right. Exactly. right. Yeah. Shut up. Asshole. <laughs> although, although one of my personal favorite media scrum, uh, memories of all time didn't even come from a journalist. It was that fan during uh, McGregor Alvarez, who's just like, "You said, you said this, but what about that motherfucker? <laughs> How about that?" And then the whole place went crazy. Like, if the sport gets to the place that I think we both want it to be, that will likely never happen again. But my God, I'm so happy it did. <laughs> never, never say never. You know, you know. Now I look around and I see a guy like Schmo, and dude. Props to him for creating and cultivating an audience. That's a true testament to himself. Schmo knows. But with Schmo, you know, he's going up there kind of in character and doing his shtick. And to me, I'm like, well, it's something to be said about your work ethic and your ability to be that ballsy guy. Because years ago, the UFC wouldn't stand for that sort of shit. I know that personally. So I can kind of tell you that like, all right, Things do change and never be too surprised, even though they clean it up and they try to make it a nice sport. Don't forget, we're a sport where people can drink and that a lot of them train. And if you put a little bit of alcohol into little guys who don't really know how to hold their liquor because they're so thin, things happen. And they're already a little nuts, but already because they do a little, they, they, they like to train. It's just, According it's, to Jake Shields, fighter's going to fight, bro. So fuck fight. you, media. You're dumb. <laughs> well, I mean, according to Dana White, we are all the, the weakest people because we choose to write about the strongest people, whatever the hell he said. <laughs> here's, here's a great story. I'll tell you, I'll kind of wind it down with this. What an Dana asshole. White. <clears throat> Dana White. Well, shut up, dude. You're the one that tried to wrap it up. I'm trying to be respectful. No, 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 no. You could no, not you, not no, you. You're awesome. I'm talking about Dana White. I'm enjoying it. Play. I have another question for you. <laughs> oh, okay. I'll I'll happily ask that. Right, congrats, answer that. Go ahead. I, 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 I didn't want to keep you. Dana White. Uh when I was covering UFC with Condit. No, no, no. It was Johnny Hendricks and GSP. 
and GSP retires and Dana Wright comes backstage and all of us in press row are sitting there at our computers and we're like, whoa, did, did GSP just retire? That was a close fight. How'd you guys have it scored? Dana White waltzes on, had no clue that GSP was going to retire. And that's where my impression of him came because it was him being like, hey, you dummies. And being like, what, what do you mean, dummies? Fuck you, dude. And then it became like, oh, that's going to be a caricature I do on the show now forever because I can't delete that experience. Like he was so mad at us on right. press row because he didn't know his fighter was going to retire. Right. And to me, I said, there's nothing more glorious than watching Dana White lose his shit where somebody goes, so what are your feelings about GSP uh, retiring tonight? How the fuck do you think I feel? Yeah, oh, he was pissed. He, he was, was so, so mad about that. He was oh. so mad about that. He he hates he, – him and GSP do not get along, not at all. But just – it was magic. And yeah. I, I <laughs> like remember watching me, that. I just remembered being there and going, is this what this is? Is this, is this really what we get treated like? And then seeing like people who I look up to and revered just at their desks and at like their computers being like, fuck, dude, I just want to go home, man. <laughs> That's great, man. One, one question. I got a quick one for you. I want to ask you this because I always ask this of people that are, that are, have advanced knowledge and great knowledge of both um, jujitsu and, and the world in general. Um, what do you feel like um, the sport of jujitsu needs to do to kind of break through to that next level? And, and, and we can ask that in two parts. Do you, okay. do you also think that it's necessarily necessary for the sport of jiu-jitsu because i've kind of changed my mind i used to think it had to be done now i kind of think it's not that important for jiu-jitsu to make it through to that next level and when i say the next level something that that more than just people like us that know and appreciate jiu-jitsu appreciate like when you start getting dudes at bars that want to tune in to watch a kasai or tune in to watch a fight to win and it will legitimately enjoy watching that. Do you think we're there yet? What do you think we need to do no. to continue that? Or do you Dude, think it's bars, necessary? Right. These bars don't want to watch our shit. Right. I wish they would. Right. Um, but here's what I'll tell you. I truly wish that the sport does go uh, broad and mainstream. And I'll tell you why. I think it would be a great service to the athletes to get the most amount of eyeballs to watch them. Now that's going to require us to get some unified rules and that ain't happening for a while. These motherfuckers can't even live with EBI overtime rules and being like, fuck that. It's like, I get it, dude. It's not always the most exciting thing in the world, but if y'all could stop arguing in the comment sections for maybe 2.5 and realize maybe we could have more people watch us if we just kind of like, I don't know, tried one out for a year and just said, like, let's just see how it goes. Let's see what we do. Because every one of these rule sets has some sort of flaws. And yet, at the same point, you watch all these other sports in the Olympics and you go, these people are still arguing in tennis, whether that's in or out. These people in curling are arguing about curling. Like, we're not that different. We're just not organized and we don't know how to use it, too. That's interesting. That's a good point. I like that. I really, 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 um, on my side, the reason why I like to do the, the broad narratives, I think it's important to tell a good narrative story. I think Kasai has done it the best in terms of making those video packages, but it's going to require 
a little bit more than that. Metamorph like gave us that first beak wet of being like, hey, okay. And then after when Holly couldn't pay his people and their egos got so inflated that we we had to start all over again. And it opened up the opportunity for people to come in. But I just keep wishing that one day we can get this on ESPN where people can watch it. And it's my hope to do a show uh, on grappling, on like a cable sports show on ESPN at some point. And if it's not me, then I know that people like me and uh, like even one of my good friends like Paul Moran and people like that who put little foundation pieces will have a piece in contributing and, and paying that forward. So that's why I think it's so important everybody – who does a show comes together and, and continues to continue telling these great narratives and, and doing good things for the sport. Um, but I really think that it's not just the athletes. I think it's a lot of us pulling our best skills to lend and, and make it go. And I think that ADCC is a nice shot at it. Um, it's interesting in the sense that we build it up as a little micro community, but like when EBI first hit, I thought, man, that's close. That's that's about there at network um, because they really did a good presentation and, and they do a good job of narratives of, as well. But then they started going down the combat route and I'm like, bro, I get that y'all want to try and capture this UFC audience, but I don't think this is... Show me the numbers. Like, Wait, show me, well, I, don't, I love Wagner, but I don't need to see him slapping a guy on the ground for a little while. Like, uh, we ended up we went we ended up with a with an odd hybridization of MMA and jujitsu that wasn't really great MMA and it wasn't really great jujitsu. It just turned into fucking whatever the hell that shit was. MMA. Yeah, Eddie Eddie Bravo tried really hard to make that crossover because it, it always goes back to this. Like when you look at combat jujitsu, when you look at jujitsu in general, people in the general audience like they're not going to know what a Kamara is. They're not going to know what a knee bar is. They're not going to know what a heel hook is, but they're sure as hell going to be able to understand someone getting smacked in the face. And that gets drunk assholes at the bar <laughs> stand up and cheer. The tagline initially – Tagline was from Eddie. What I remember it very clearly was, "You know what the the gentle art needs more of violence." And I'm yeah. like, Ugh. "Well, <laughs> you know what it is? It's it's Eddie sitting back at the end of a class, holding court where 30 students are all sitting down, and him being like, "Hey, you know what they they need? Um, they need like a little bit more of. Uh, you guys ever see when that one guy got slapped? That was cool, right? That that's was a, cool. That's a great Eddie Bravo. That's a great Eddie Bravo. That is a good like, one. Eddie, you're so right. And then at the end, he's like, yeah, I think on the next one, we're going to like fight. And um, that's so yeah, funny. Like, let's have him slap each other. Anyone that's, ever, anyone that's ever sat through a rules meeting at an, Eddie, at an EBI event will tell you that's exactly. Literally, you're in this rule meeting, and he's asking the competitors – now, what do you guys think about this? It's like, and you got like eight, you got like 10, 12 dudes, 16 dudes that are getting ready to fight. They're like, dude, we don't know, bro. Like, just tell, no one wants to answer this. Just tell us, tell us what the rules are and tell us what we're supposed to no. do. This isn't like an open forum. Think about it like this when Eddie gets up there and holds court and he starts telling, he's like, all right, let me explain to you guys what uh, the rules for EBI is and are. And then all of a sudden he'll look over and he goes, and here to tell you that, John Danner. Yeah, right. <laughs> and then that's so like, true. It's, it's that always how so the rules meetings go. So and true. Then because Danner tells the rules. <laughs> because Danaher can't speak in a normal uh affinity voice, it no. takes two hours longer to explain the rules. And like, then obviously like, Dan is gonna Jan, John is gonna gear the rule set to his competitors. So does, <laughs> does he try and does he, he try and get you? Play. 
does he try and get you to arrive at the right conclusion by asking questions? Well, what do you think this is? <laughs> what, do what is, what is the fundamental like, rules? He starts with like, all right, now the rule session is starting. First off, what is grappling? Like, what does it mean? <laughs> what does grappling really mean? Think about it like this. It starts with him being like, everyone, I took a very interesting ride on a train this morning and they're like no no it just tells us this is the more illegal here right, and the right. overtime rules like i don't know he bro. starts like, cutting a piece right. of paper and says you see the cutting motion before you know it uh gordon ryan is is bracketed with uh with with three blue belts in a <laughs> he once ta- he once belt, posted right. a picture of a crystal metallic skull on a chessboard in his house and i asked him what kind of wizard tower he must live in and his he actually responded to me saying definitely not a gothic one and i'm like that wasn't the answer i wanted man i don't want you living in a wizard tower (laughs) i mean you know danaher's he's working with the humor he's he's got a one note thing that he does and he does he doesn't it doesn't really it doesn't really connect in his brain humor. He doesn't really get that yet. He's I like, mean, I'm a little weird and I'm going to go full bore with it. <laughs> well, I mean, he famously just told me in an interview once. He's just like, humor is a very interesting thing. <laughs> I'm like, cool. Thanks for telling me, bro. Good, good I'm going to go job. ahead and tell you how to heel hook people now. So that <laughs> yeah, let's, change, let's change the subject. Let's change the subject. Let's talk about oh. your rash cards. But, <sighs> but I will tell you this. The other thing I think that needs to come along is uh, commentary. I think the era of putting two guys who are trying to show they know more about jujitsu with each other is a bad idea. And I feel like one of the things I've tried to do when I do commentary is to tell a story and to know as much as I can about the athletes and to just paint that picture. Because if you're talking about broadcast, I don't like whenever I see somebody trying to tell a story, it just doesn't work. And then on the other side, when I see Chael doing it, like Chael's a good person to give it some personality and some splash of it. But when he didn't have a co-pilot on that last one, it was him, you know, just kind of sitting there and be like, now see, the funny thing about this is <laughs> when you grab here, that's known as a Kaimo. You hit mute. You hit your muted your microphone. You hit your muted your microphone. Hey, Raph. I got I gestured so wildly because I went in the face being like, God damn it, I forget that. that. that no, the last part about Chill is him being like when he was doing it, he's one of that last mold that says guillotine. And I'm always like, shut up, dude. It's a guillotine. Well, here's the thing with, with Chael is his cadence is very odd. He'll take pauses in in sort of places that don't make sense. He's like, now you see Kevin. Kevin Casey, he's <laughs> rolled with Craig before. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. I'm going to tell you this right now. That's I've, the CTE talking, by the I way. I don't think I've ever been more mad at a person that, on a show that I've been on where they're just kind of like, oh, I've never done that impression before. It's just this hair. Oh, I didn't know. It's just so lovely and luxurious. Oh. <laughs> maybe I just, maybe I'm programmed to sound like an asshole very easily i don't know i, don't know <laughs> I feel like you've done that a couple times in a mirror true <laughs> for the love of god i feel weird now I, I don't have any impressions and now i just have and a jail better <laughs> not have any more kid <laughs> no way right. well okay well listen this has been uh, a barn burner of an episode definitely 
Definitely uplifting. I've been really happy that we've been we've been having a, a string of really positive episodes just because, you know, uh, not to get too personal, but it is easy to get a little melancholy and uh, demure these days. So uh, I have to say this was probably one of my favorite uh, one of my favorite interviews, man. You really you really it was really fun to sit back and talk to three people that really understand the, how the gears turn you know it, it was it was very enlightening you're a very intelligent guy and you have a very good grasp of of not just jujitsu but the world in general and it was surprising to me you <laughs> it was no, it was a, you're you. very insightful you're a very intelligent Kevin, insightful Kevin, guy and i appreciate Kevin, it Kevin, i want you to count how many people are in this this podcast <laughs> three right that's what i said right I yeah, no, you said it like there was another person did i really <laughs> it's so great to talk with three people here is he talking to himself but, now uh, well obviously i think of myself yeah. in, the, in the third person of course <laughs> inner kevin was like you guys are killing this i'm, I, it's, it's, I'm sure it was a delight for you to have the opportunity to speak to me and share my presence rob so it was uh... yeah you know sure um whatever <laughs> i would tell you that uh all five hey. of you guys have been great for real <laughs> listen i'm not gonna go any further on that joke because you earlier uh told I, us about cte so it's kind of yeah, like right, hey, i already ruined it for myself i, I already it. i already, I already CTE robot over here getting it all wrong and shit <laughs> um i would tell you guys this Yes. Uh, to everybody listening, somehow we're going to figure this out. I don't know how it is. I'm not smart enough, but I am smart enough to know that there are things that I think it's important to keep an open mind about. I think it's great if you're out working at home, um, if you're doing stuff to keep your mind sharp, whatever it is. Uh, know when you're watching stuff like this and you're watching myself and these guys, we're all connected somehow still. And it sucks that we're not training. But I mean, the thing is, is like, when we do figure it out, it's going to make us all so appreciative of what it was. And I'll tell you, when my 300-pound ass gets back on those mats, you better believe I'm going to enjoy every second because that's what I do to stay in shape and be healthy. And I feel like it stimulates my mind as well. And I think it's given us uh, given us a lot of perspective in terms of what it is that we have. So, Any, any sponsors you want to pitch to? You want to talk about your shows? Anything you want to bring up? Uh, sure. Okay. Uh, this is the time when I normally tell people plug your shit and they don't know how to do it. So let me show you. <laughs> plug, plug your shit. Plug your <laughs> shit, Rob. I tell people, I'm like, hey, plug your stuff. And they're like, oh, I don't know. I guess my Instagram. It's like, fuck off. Dude. Get Just all them young fighters out there a, a template of how to uh, how to <sighs> compete in the, in the, in the, in the Jiu Jitsu uh, marketing. Here's how to do it, kids. Hey, if you guys like this kind of conversation, you like what we're talking about for MMA and Jiu Jitsu. Try out a little bit of Verbal Tap Cast. It's me, another Kevin, not these two. Uh, another Kevin by the name of Kevin Phillips. Very, very funny guy. Um, basically, we just this week, since there's no sports, we're doing knockout rounds of really bad movies to argue which ones are worse. And we're going to be doing even more shit like that because guess what? We can actually make things that are not fights entertaining. Dose, if you like kind of the conversation about grappling, check out The Grappling Hour right over here because I do interviews, profiles with multiple different people. I've even got an interview with Tom Halvin that I probably should probably put up at this point. Uh, but he won the last combat jujitsu. Very nice kid. Um, but yes, all the time that is at grappling hour. And then if you want to see more of the comedy stuff, that's a little bit outside the realm of the jujitsu. You can watch me do my late night stuff at early late night. It's uh, kind of a, a show for late night people made by late night people who love late night people. So you can catch that early late night, and that's it. I got too much shit to plug. Oh, you're, you're a busy guy, podcast. man. 
Uh, yeah, that one's called Real Hill Section. That one's Jesus. fun. Too. You're a busy how guy. That how did he edit all that shit? Was, all right. Now I'm done schooling you guys on how to plug your crap. I would keep going, but I'm too popular. <laughs> oh, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Listen, guys, I put on my headphones one at a time, just like every other podcaster. <laughs> that's good. That's good. Uh, no, I no. stick my earbuds in one at a time. <laughs> I, I will tell you guys this. It is good work. To be done here it's good work to be done on other stuff i appreciate you guys bringing me on again um i think that you know uh with all this sort of stuff it, it makes us all feel a little bit better knowing um that we can still talk about jujitsu with the intention of getting back to it very soon so i, I sincerely appreciate you guys bringing me on uh, well raf even though you are now my direct rival and uh eventual uh lifelong enemy it was an honor to have you on sir thank you very <laughs> bro, much bro you don't even me. make my top 10 list of enemies oh, right now wow, no. hey, look look <laughs> i'm the young buck man i got nothing but time Older all right are I you guys done with your nerd a, off i got time <laughs> and a chael sonnen impression in my back pocket all right? yeah, that's gonna get you real far in this sport. how old are you real quick before we sign off uh, i'm look it doesn't I even matter I'm, I'm 20 <laughs> i truly have to think about i'm 23 23 all right I'm 23 i've got shoes uh, older than you kev and uh, yeah there's you got a lot older than me kev you've been around <laughs> you've been around a bit uh very briefly would love to once again thank our sponsors no judges needed and lavender lane uh you can use the promo code jjt and jjt20 for those sites respectively for or jjt times 20 uh for those sites respectively to get yourself a nice discount but yeah, this has been a very, very hilarious episode of the Jiu-Jitsu Times podcast. I have been your host, Kevin Bradley, joined as always by my co-host, uh, Kevin Gallagher, and uh, special guest, Rafa Sparza. Be sure to check him out at all the shows that he very expertly plugged for us. Thank you for showing us how that's done, sir. Be safe, uh, be kind to one another, keep washing your hands, and keep your head up. We'll see you next time.